So this is my teenage Bible. I was given it for Christmas by my parents, Christmas Day, 1988. And uh, I would put lots of things in this Bible. I would write lots of things in it. I would stick sticky notes. I have like all these pages of things. And right in the very front of this Bible, when I was a teenager, I, I, po- I printed and taped a poem. And it's funny because this poem still resonates with me today. The poem goes like this. I told God I was angry. I thought he'd be surprised. I thought I'd kept hostility quite cleverly disguised. I told the Lord I hate him. I told him that I hurt. I told him that he isn't fair. He's treated me like dirt. I told God I was angry, but I'm the one surprised. What I've known all along, he said, you've finally realized. At last you have admitted what's really in your heart. Dishonesty, not anger, was keeping us apart. Even when you hate me, I don't stop loving you. Before you can receive that love, you must confess what's true. In telling me the anger you genuinely feel, it loses power over you, permitting you to heal. I told God I was sorry, and he's forgiven me. The truth that I was angry has finally set me free. And it's funny that that poem resonated when I was like a teenager, and it still resonates. When I encounter certain emotions like overwhelming sadness or anger, I tend to fall into two traps. Either I'm totally overtaken by the feeling and have a hard time separating myself from it, or I kind of try to go around it, like push it to the side, um, try to maybe do a little spiritual bypassing with it. And in our passage of scripture for today that Tim just read, Jesus experiences overwhelming emotion, but he does not fall into either of these two traps. In the passage of scripture, Jesus shows, it, shows us what it looks like to walk with God in the face of and with overwhelming emotions. And I wonder, what do you do? Like, what do you do when you face overwhelming emotions? When powerful feelings like anger or profound sadness enter your life, what do you do? Um, I thought maybe we could illustrate this with um, a little Ken and Barbie. They were recently in a movie. Did anybody see that one? Fascinating. So here we go. We got Barbie. This is, um, this is soccer Barbie. <laughs> and, um, and here's Ken. We'll put Ken over here. This is, I think, outdoorsy Ken. Maybe Colorado Ken, something like that. And I really should say thank you to the person who lent me these Barbies for a sermon illustration today. Um, Tim, thank you for sharing your Barbies <laughs> with me. <laughs> okay, so let's pretend for a minute that you are Barbie or Ken, and you get overwhelmed with a powerful emotion. Maybe it's sadness, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger. Do you let that emotion totally consume you? Do you let it like 
become your identity? Do you let the anger or the sadness define you almost like a slime? Like you could imagine, you know, Barbie experiences something. And um, we are in the slime years at my house, so... So almost like this overwhelming emotion, sadness, fear, anger, whatever it might be. It's almost like a slime, and it almost just like covers you. And everything you see now, your identity, your destiny, your everything is, is through the lens of this slime. <laughs> Do you let it totally consume you? Imagine Barbie is like going through a difficult time. Like maybe let's just say she's been married for a whole lot of years. And then she gets into Ken's car and finds a second cell phone. And that cell phone has hundreds of texts to another woman. And Barbie feels betrayed. And she feels abandoned. And she feels angry. And she feels overwhelmed. But Barbie is a follower of Jesus. She has been walking with Christ and and has had spiritual practices for many years. So when she feels this event, rather than moving through this trauma with God, she maybe just sort of sets her faith to the side and lets all of these emotions define her. Slowly the trauma takes over and she becomes jaded and she becomes cold and she becomes cut off from her own heart It's as if the pain hasn't just happened to her. It's completely overtaken her. Almost like the emotion of slime covering her entirely. Now, when you go through something terrible, here's the thing for us. It can be my experience without it becoming my identity and my destiny. You can say, I went through a horrible divorce, but I am not defined by my divorce. There can be a separation there, that the overwhelming feeling is not becoming my identity. It's not becoming my destiny, even if it is, in fact, my reality, and it is, in fact, my experience. So one ditch is like the slime, right? Just overwhelming emotion. It's overtaken me, and it has stuck to me, and I get stuck in it. Perhaps you've been there. Okay, in our chapter with Sky Jathani this week, he says, if Jesus was serious, then prayer will help us see past our pain. That our pain is not the end of the story. Jesus, in this passage, he was sorrowful to the point of death, and he cried out to his father in prayer, but he also reached out to friends. He also did the next right thing in love. I heard someone say, like, feel the feel and then go take the wheel. Okay, so maybe for followers of Christ, we modify that a little, right? Like, feel the feel and let God take the wheel, right? Like, that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. He is overwhelmed, and he's crying out to his Father in prayer. He is not defined by that. He is defined by who God says he is as the Beloved. This moment is not his destiny. It's not the end of the story. It allowed him to see past the pain for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So, okay, that's one ditch, right? The slime. The other ditch that we can fall into is what we could call spiritual bypassing. And it's so (laughs) very common in church. (laughs) 
This is when we avoid difficult emotions and challenges with like superficial or misguided spiritual practices. It's when we avoid difficult emotions by saying things like, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. Or um, someone died and you say, I'm sad, but they're in a better place. It's using spiritual practices or spiritual language to kind of end around the pain. When we use spiritual beliefs to escape from or avoid life's challenges, we're likely falling into this dangerous trap of spiritual bypassing. And honestly, you guys, a little secret, Christian leaders are probably the worst at this, doing this, because it's almost like we're taught to do it in in many circles. Um, But there is a great danger in our masking deeper issues with a spiritual facade. Jesus did not do that. This passage is a classic example of Jesus not doing that. Okay, so imagine for a moment a person named Ken. And Ken has a strong spiritual practice. He works hard to just follow in the way of Jesus wholeheartedly. He really wants to maintain an inner life of peace and of love. It's a huge priority to him. And then one day, Ken is at work. And a colleague takes credit for his work, and the boss applauds the colleague. But it was actually his doing. And Ken feels this anger kind of rise up with him. He feels betrayed by his colleague. He feels undervalued. But Ken, Ken loves Jesus, and he thinks anger is bad. So he immediately tries to, like, suppress the anger. So he's just, like, repeating this mantra, God is love, and I practice love. God is love, and I practice love in the face of this event. He tries to convince himself he should not feel angry, Because in his mind, anger is like a negative emotion. He's labeled it. But here's the thing. Anyone in his shoes would be angry. Anger is like a natural response in that situation. It's like, in a way, Ken has this anger in this event. Here it is. And and he takes it and he just, he's like pushing it down with his spiritual practices. He's just trying to like push it on, but it keeps popping up and it keeps just like splashing him in the face. And he's just... You know, he's trying to just keep it, keep it underwater. <laughs> in this example, Ken is engaging, right, in spiritual bypassing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sorrowful to the point of death. We read in other places, Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. That is the Jesus we meet in the ancient scriptures. Despite what Western churchy, always serene and calm Jesus maybe you've been taught, the Jesus we meet in the scriptures, he wept. He was overwhelmed to the point of death. He flipped over tables one time when he was angry. If Jesus, who is perfect, can get angry, then you and I can too. Now, of course, it's never okay in our anger to do harm, But the anger itself is a natural and normal part of being human. And when you get angry, it needs to be acknowledged, expressed, brought into the light of God's transforming love. This is the work of prayer. In fact, if you're like me, um, sometimes it's like something happens and 
I can't even access the anger, right? Like I have been bypassing so much that I can't even access it. I just like want to rush to forgiveness. I just want to rush to the, the sort of healing. And so if, if you relate with me on that, perhaps for us there's like a deeper transformation that Christ can do in us. Anger is what happens when, when, what, when something that you love is being threatened. The Bible says, in your anger do not sin. It, now notice, it does not say when you're angry you sin. It is assuming you will be, you're human, you will be angry. In your anger, do not sin. The anger itself is not sin. But Ken, right, he thinks that it's unspiritual to get angry. It's, it's unenlightened. It reveals his carnal nature. He thinks anger is a sign of, like, spiritual failure, and he doesn't want to be a spiritual failure. And instead of addressing the, the awkward issue with his colleague or seeking a healthy resolution with that individual, Ken decides to avoid the confrontation altogether because he thinks, well, spiritual people like me should always be peaceful, should always be non-confrontational. He thinks Jesus is always calm and serene, and so should he be. So Ken kind of maintains this facade this facade of calm and positivity on the surface. But here's the thing. Underneath, he's mad. And he's hurt. And anyone in his shoes would be. Ken is engaging in spiritual bypassing. And here's the saddest part about it. When you and I do that, we never bring our true selves into the love and light of Christ. We never actually bring our true selves to the one place where we can experience true and authentic transformation. I remember um, when I was in my early 30s, I was working um, with a pastor who was in his like mid-50s at the time. And I remember this one time when this pastor I was working with, he got really angry. And actually, all of us on this staff team, we were all a little, like, taken aback with his emotional reactivity. We were all a little like, whoa, Mark, like, wow, that was quite the angry outburst. We were all um, quite surprised. And I remember him coming back later and reconnecting with us, and I remember him saying, I remember him saying this, if I did anything that hurt you in my anger, I want to know because I want to grow. And then he said this, but I also want you to know that I am not apologizing for my anger because I have had to do a lot of work to get to a place where I can actually feel and express anger. He was telling us how much deep work he had had to do to even get to the point to feel angry, let alone express it. And so while he wanted to know, what do I need to be responsible for in how I was? Did I hurt you? I want to know because I want to grow. He was also, it was, I just remember it was very important to him that we all knew his getting angry was actually a huge sign of spiritual health. Do you hear that? Because for him, 
being angry was coming to a point as a pastor in his mid-50s where he was like, I am only going to live in what is real and what is true because that is the only place I can encounter the Lord. And if I keep pretending like I am not angry, then I am never going to go to the one place where this can act, where I can actually, the true me, can actually be transformed in the love and the light of Christ. For him, it was choosing to live in reality, in what was real and what was true. So the next time someone you consider spiritual gets angry and it shocks you, you could check your assumptions. Have you embraced spiritual bypassing? Do you think that leaders are not really human, but more like superhuman? Because here's the thing, pastors, priests, and guides are human too. Do you secretly think that super spiritual people don't ever get angry? Do you kind of privately think anger is a lack of faith? See, spiritual bypassing is this subtle but dangerous temptation, and it is all too common in church, and it is all too common in me. So what does Jesus teach us here in this passage? In our scripture text, Jesus is in the garden. He is facing his impending crucifixion. That's the context. And in looking at how Jesus handled his overwhelming emotions, it's, it's, we have a lot to learn in facing our own struggles in life. So first of all, Jesus, I mean, place yourself, consider his emotional state. This is like profound distress, deeper than words can express. The Bible actually says, and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Jesus' emotional state. It's deep, deep pain, anguish. It's profound. Now, also notice, in his moment of need, he seeks support from his disciples. He says to them, stay here and keep watch. He does not isolate himself in the face of overwhelming emotions. He asks for help from friends. And Jesus is, he's really modeling for us the importance of community and shared prayer. How important that is during, t- during the trying times of life especially. Like when you are overwhelmed, don't be alone. And Jesus prays, and in this prayer he falls to the ground. It's this posture of like, complete and utter humility. He's at the end of himself. And he addresses God. He says, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. Abba is this term of intimacy. It's like daddy. It's like revealing the intimacy he has with the Father in the way in which he addresses him. And then he also prays this heartfelt plea. And it just reveals his humanity. Like, He is saying what is most real and true to God in prayer. Take this cup from me. Like Jesus, Jesus does not want to die. And he tells his father that. He speaks what is most real and true to his father in prayer. And then he prays this like ultimate surrender prayer. 
He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is surrendering himself in prayer to God's plan, no matter how challenging it might be. So what about you? What do you do when you face your Gethsemane moments? What do you do when powerful and overwhelming emotions seek to consume you? What can you and I learn from Jesus in this? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus confronted his deepest pain in such a way as to not be defined by it and without bypassing around it. He went to the Father in prayer. He reached out to his friends. He surrendered himself to God. He did the next right thing in love. And this is, this is the God who you and I walk with as we face overwhelming emotions, as we face our own Gethsemane moments too. So uh, in closing, Brennan Manning has this little book that I recently read. I had never read it before. It, it's a tiny little short story called The Boy Who Called uh, the boy who cried, Abba. Some of you have probably read it. And in this story, there's this little, this little kid. Um, his name is Willie Wan. And Willie Wan essentially meets three people in this short story who represent like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in this little story, Willie Wan meets Jesus and calls him Senor. And when he meets Jesus, he gets very angry at Jesus. He gets very mad at Jesus. He, he tells Senor, I hate you. He, he uses all this, he's very angry, and he, he takes it to Senor. And then later, Willie Wan comes back to Senor, and this is what he says. He says to, the, to Jesus in this story, I said some very bad things about you, Senor. I didn't trust you. I called you a faker, a phony. I was so mad at you. I said I hated you. And Jesus says to him, hush, hush, little friend. I'm used to being called bad names. At least you didn't call me drunkard and a glutton, as some of my old adversaries did. Little brother, you were forgiven before you asked. Now accept that forgiveness and be at peace. Don't punish yourself anymore. And then he says this. Jesus says to Willie Wan, you know, there is an old saying that friends have to eat a peck of salt together before they really know one another. They nicknamed my old friend Peter Rock, yet he failed me in the time of testing. But Willie Wan, it only made our friendship stronger. Real love survives betrayal, and deepens trust. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the friendship and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit give you and I the courage to face our overwhelming emotions, our Gethsemane moments with Christ. Amen? Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you that real love survives betrayal and deepens trust. And I pray that you might help us have the courage to live honestly before you and before one another, 
that we might experience your transformation, that we might foster an authentic spirituality, one that doesn't take on an identity that's different than the one you've bestowed upon us, God, and one that doesn't bypass around challenging struggles, but one that keeps returning to you over and over again to the very place where transformation can happen. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.